Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the medical education podcast from the Children's Emergency Department in Derby. I'm Ian Lewins, your host again, and I'm joined this afternoon by my colleague in general paediatrics, Dr Donna Traves. Good afternoon, Donna. Hello. And you've got a particular interest in allergy, which is what we're talking about today. Yeah. And I suspect you're probably the most popular person in the children's hospital for GPs. You get thousands and thousands of referrals. When you're looking through a letter, what about it? where the query is, is this allergy? What are you looking for in the letter from the GP to say, oh, I think it is, or no, this doesn't sound anything like allergy at all? So the history is probably most important. So um, looking for things that sound IgE-mediated, particularly. Okay. So any urticaria, swelling, acute symptoms, that are, and it's all to do with the timing of those symptoms in relation to whatever it is they've presented with. Okay. Um, and by urticaria, we mean the sort of nettle sting, yeah, high lumpy rash. rash. Yeah, okay. or okay. any kind of facial swelling, anything like that. Um, and if they've got any of those, is there an obvious trigger um, that we can kind of pin that down to? And sometimes there isn't. And that can still be a good referral because it's someone trying to pinpoint what that might be. Okay. Is it easier if they go, ah, they ate this, and immediately they swelled up and they were itchy and then they had the hives, yeah. and you go, ah, okay. Yeah. As opposed to they keep getting these funny reactions we've no idea what to yeah uh, that's a bit trickier i presume yeah and then that's a bit more delving down because actually even those ones that then come to clinic when you actually question them you then get some more information and you can still work out what it might be okay. at times so what sort of things do you ask the child and the parents when they come to clinic so the first thing is just going over the, that incident that, that's brought them there. Usually there's one specific incident and really looking at the specific timings around everything. So okay. what were they doing just before they started having the reaction? What, what If there was a food involved, what exactly what did they eat and have they eaten any of these things before? Um, and then once they've um, got a reaction, what how did that relate in times of sort of timings so okay. how long after they'd eaten something do they then start to get the symptoms so if it's an acute reaction and an acute allergy that will usually be within 10-15 minutes or even okay. quicker if it's becoming more delayed then that's really important so sometimes families will say it was really soon after but when you really pin them down it's like two three four hours and that's less likely to be a, an allergy related thing or at least an acute allergy. okay so timing is important so it's the first important. sort of few minutes immediately afterwards and yep. um, what sort of symptoms do these children present so with? with so um the ones that we typically think of as being ige mediated and therefore acute allergy would be things like hives and urticaria and rashes um swelling around the face around the eyes around the mouth um, any rashes if they've got rashes where are they is it just where they've touched the food or just on their face or over their whole body um, and then particularly we want to know if there's any breathing difficulties, any wheeze, any stride or any change in voice because um, they'll indicate some respiratory involvement and we'll mm. be more worried about those ones. Um, any vomiting, diarrhoea, any symptoms like that if they've become particularly pale or any faint or collapse or anything like that is obviously a bit more worrying, mm. even more worrying. But we want to know all those sorts of things. Okay. So if somebody comes in and says, you know, I had this, uh, let's say it was me. I ate a Toblerone, so I have an allergy to almonds, so I ate a Toblerone and my mouth immediately felt really scratchy mm -hmm. and a big hives and then a bit of tummy ache and a few hours later it all settled down and you go, well it sounds like it's the Toblerone, it's something yep. to, in the Toblerone. What, what investigations would you do? Because this is a bit I always get slightly confused mm -hmm. on who needs what blood and who gets yep. patch testing and those sorts yep. of things. So, so what tests would you do at that stage? So depending on your history, usually we use the test to kind of 
drill down further and get more information. Sometimes it's really obvious and we're using the test to confirm what we're doing. So in our allergy clinic, we do skin prick testing. Okay. And that's where you use just a solution that you prick through onto the skin and you get a reaction within 10, 15 minutes and we can measure those. And that's really helpful in confirming what we already thought um, or trying to differentiate between possible allergens. Was it egg or was it yeah. bread or something like that? Um, and so that's useful. We don't do huge amounts of blood tests in our, okay. in our allergy clinic and we don't think that a lot of people probably need to do them as much as they do out in the community or in GP land, just because sometimes it confuses things a little mm. bit. You need to know what it is you're testing for. So blanket testing is not a good idea. We do do them sometimes, and if they've got really bad eczema and we can't do skin prick testing, then we'll do some um, bloods and specific IgE testing that can be helpful then. Okay, so if they've got sort of broken skin, eczema to skin, do you yeah. kind of think, um, maybe not? Maybe not. Um, sometimes we can use the legs, so okay. wherever you've got a, a free piece of skin, right. you can use those. Um, the only caveat is if they've got very bad eczema and then we say let's do some specific IgE testing often your total IgE level which is like a marker of A to B is very high in people who've got bad eczema so you'll often get a very high level and then that kind of interferes and clouds all of the other tests and they look like they're all positive Mm. and they're not so that can be quite confusing so you have to know exactly what you're looking out for. So thinking about the skin picture how reliable is skin prick testing if somebody says look I ate this I immediately get this reaction Mm -hmm. you do the skin prick test and it's negative does that so rule that, that out or does it make it less likely or what would probably what would makes it less likely so we do do a control so if they that's got to be positive and negative appropriately and if they are appropriate controls and they're still negative but the history is really really clear then we tend to bring them into a food challenge okay so if we are that convinced that actually um they really do sound like they've got an allergy we'll bring them in we'll do a food challenge to the food on the ward in a controlled way and then we can get the answer that way so you do get some people who have a negative test and then um pass a food challenge but on the whole usually it lines up nicely and you kind of get the information that you need okay and that food challenge is you know you sort of have increasing amounts of the food yeah so you're in the room with the food yeah. and then you sort of touch the food touch the and, then... Food and then a crumb of the food and then a bit bigger crumb of the food and then you work your way up every 15 minutes over two hours until you get to whatever the total volume is like a handful of peanuts or a cupcake or some other good food source and then you sort of say did you react or what stage did yep. you react and okay. if at any point they react then we stop and we can treat them if they need to and then we will always observe them for two hours after any reaction to make sure they haven't had a more delayed reaction and if they get to the end of the challenge and they haven't had any symptoms then we'll still watch them for at least two hours just to make sure they don't develop any more down the line and if they're fine at two hours then they're free to go and usually we'll have a plan as to whether they can go and introduce that food back into mm. their diet or what they need to do from there okay and what are the sort of when you're looking at allergens particularly foods what what are the, are the common ones milk 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 yeah egg yeah nuts yeah strawberries strawberries kiwi. Are, strawberry and kiwi we do see them okay. strawberries and tomatoes come in as the commonest i think i've got an allergy and they probably don't so you get a lot of redness around the mouth <laughs> with strawberries and tomatoes quite good going red rashes right. but strawberries and tomatoes and quite a lot of other foods are naturally high in histamine and they can um you can be histamine intolerant so lots, okay. lots of little children in particular just don't handle that histamine very well and get redness and that's okay. not a true allergic reaction that's just their reaction to that and it's only it's not just the strawberry around the mouth but where the strawberry's been often (laughs) that will give them the rash um and then but they'll never have an an anaphylactic reaction or anything to that okay you can settle it with antihistamines and their skin prick tests will usually be negative 
for these things. Okay, but it's milk, eggs, Milk, nuts. eggs is our commonest um, nuts. So we'll often get children coming in with one nut allergy and they're avoiding all nuts and we mm. can skin prick test for the whole panel and work out if it's one or all nuts, tree nuts or um, ground nuts. So peanuts aren't really nuts, they're of the bean and the pea family and um, it's common to be allergic to one or all or some sort of varieties of those nuts. I guess that, that was my next question is knowing that you're sort of allergic to one thing do you then test against yeah. other things yeah. and you, do they get, sort of get grouped together as these are things that you're likely to, if you're allergic to this thing these are the other things you're likely to be allergic to. So we do to. that for nuts, so okay. we'll often do a whole nut panel and um, the old advice used to be avoid all nuts if you're allergic to one nut you avoid them all but actually there's evidence now to suggest that you might want to introduce the nuts that you can tolerate back into your diet in a kind of safe environment okay. so um, we test to see if there are some that they can reintroduce in a kind of safe way um, when they're out and about they still have no nuts um, so we do do all of the nuts. Um, often if they've come with something like kiwi or banana or latex, then we can mm. group those sorts of things together. Okay. Yeah. okay. And what sort of t typical ages? Are they, are they preschool kids that you'd see, or is it a real mix? Uh, so we, mm, it's a mix. Um, we have lots of children who have been weaned mm -hmm. that will get things when they're being weaned. So any time before school starts for lots of these things, because lots of children won't have nuts until they're just a little yeah. bit older. So we get lots of preschool children. If we see them younger, then we ask for them to come back before they start school, just so we can repeat the testing. And then you'll get quite a few 12-year-olds starting senior school, that sort of age, just to make sure that if they've already, well, they've, they may have had an allergy, but they never really had it documented, mm. and they're going to senior school, and that needs kind of reviewing. And then we'll sometimes get some before they leave school as well. Okay. I guess one of the questions, if you've, you've sort of had an allergy, that parents will ask you is, is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? Or is it going to stay the same? Is it, what advice can you give so to this? Or does it vary? It varies depending on your food that you're allergic to or the okay. thing you're allergic to. So we know that lots of little children have milk and egg allergy. And that a vast proportion of those will grow out of it by the time they reach school, whatever age between zero and five. Um, so often up to 70-80% might grow out of their milk and egg allergy okay. and the others might persist for varying amounts of time. Children with nut allergy much less likely to grow out of it, so I think the percentages with that go about 20% might grow out of it. Right. And they're usually the very little ones that have got some sensitivity when they're little have got a chance of growing out of it. But once you've got your nut allergy on the whole, you're usually stuck with it. And then we know that other area allergens, so things like hay fever and rhinitis, that's going to get worse as you get older. So they might present with symptoms when they're younger, and you can predict that probably they'll have more trouble as they get older. Okay. And so that's sort of foods. And, and, and I guess that the, the advice is, you know, if you're clearly allergic, avoid for the mm -hmm. time being, challenge again later. Antihistamines, do you sort of give them, say, you know, take a regular antihistamine wherever you go, just in case? Uh, take it with you, yes, yeah. you have to actually physically take it, but yes. yeah, so have it on available um, for whenever you might need it, depending on their level of reaction, so lots of children who've just had skin reactions, rashes, swelling, they'll just need an oral antihistamine and that should be completely fine. Any child who we think might have had an anaphylactic reaction, so any collapse, any breathing difficulties, any more systemic kind of features, they would be ones that would then probably need an adrenaline pen. Um, and there are guidelines on how many of those you should have access to. So they need to have a plan that starts at antihistamines, but any signs of anaphylaxis, use their adrenaline pen. And then if you've got asthma on the side of that, then you obviously need to keep your inhaler with you as well, because that could be part of your allergic reaction. Because mm, am I right in thinking children with a clear background of asthma and allergy are yeah. more likely to run into 
serious yeah. problems. So most so. children with a definite food allergy and asthma will end up with an, an adrenaline pen because they're more likely to have breathing and respiratory problems. And all of these children need to have a clear written management plan. And so the Royal College and the BSACR do very good written management plans for all different eventualities and different adrenaline pens and things that you okay. can look at. And I guess, do, do they have sort of um, medical uh, yep. bracelets? Yeah, not the, many people use them as much now. No. They kind of get the nice rubbery ones, some children use those. A bit more interesting yeah. than the sort of slightly yeah. older persons. Okay. Um, how about, so that's sort of foods. What else, you mentioned latex briefly. Mm -hmm. What other things do you get asked to We get test? quite a lot of, um, well, we get a lot of allergic rhinitis and hay fever referrals. Okay. So we can do desensitisation to various grasses and trees here in Derby. So we get quite a lot of referrals for that. Um, and just managing, making sure young people and children have got their hay fever adequately managed because it's vastly undertreated mm. as it goes. So making sure that they've got a good treatment plan for the season as it comes through. Then we get other area allergens as well. So various people might say they've got allergies to cats and dogs and horses, various things like that. So we can see those if it's going to really impact on them. Okay. on a day-to-day -day basis. How about medicines? How about sort of yep. antibiotics is the one yep. sort of off the top of my head? Yeah, so we're doing increasing amounts of antibiotic um, allergy. So we're trying to, we've got a, a good programme where we can try and sort of de-label people with mm. antibiotic allergies because lots of people get labelled as having an allergy to an antibiotic because they were ill and then they had an antibiotic and somewhere online they got a rash mm -hmm. and then it's trying to pick out was it really the rash, was it the antibiotic or was it um, was it the illness mm. that gave them that. So we can um, do challenges for that as well. So we can do those on day case and that's probably the best way to find out if someone's really got an allergy. Yeah, because my understanding is actually a very low percentage mm. of people who've yeah. been labelled as penicillin allergic, for example, yeah. actually truly are. Yeah. And but if they've got symptoms of hives and swelling and obvious breathing difficulties, then yes, we're much more likely to call them truly allergic, but lots of them have much more mild and insidious symptoms and so it's important that we try and de-label those. Yeah. And how about those kids where they just seem to be allergic to stuff? Uh, do you get many that, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, I don't know what, but they keep coming out in hives to something. So essentially idiopathic. Yeah. Urticaria. Yeah. Do you see many of those? So we get children? quite a few of those and the ones who are truly having urticaria are a bit more easy to manage because we definitely know there is idiopathic urticaria and no matter how many triggers you try and find, it seems to have no rhyme or reason so they're okay. quite easy to get on top of because you can usually find out that they're not they're eating foods very regularly and they're still getting the rashes so it's nothing to do with what they're eating or where they're going it's just happening um, it seems to be very random so they're quite easy to look at so it's the ones that are less um, specific so mm. lots of diarrhea or abdominal pain different types of rashes that come and go sometimes they're a bit more difficult to pick out and they can be quite common in very little children as well okay. to, so whether it's truly an allergy or not is yeah. the challenge there yeah. for the clinic. Okay. Switching then maybe to sort of my environment of, of ED, mm -hmm. um, one of the challenges that a lot of people have is is or thinking about is who gets an adrenaline, mm -hmm. or who should have adrenaline and who shouldn't. Um, so I guess a challenge largely for sort of paramedics, for example, say, do I wait? Do, who do mm -hmm. I give it to? So who who should who should be getting adrenaline in the community? So if anybody who's having a, what we would say is an anaphylactic reaction, so anybody's having more than just their skin reactions, if you've got breathing difficulties, upper airway difficulties, stride or anything like that, or wheeze, they should be getting an adrenaline pen if it's definitely due to an allergic reaction okay. and it's causing that. Um, anybody who is sort of decreased conscious level or seems drowsy or not with it, they should definitely be getting it. Um, 
and the ones who've just got more skin to mm. some lip swelling, eye swelling, rashes, they don't usually need it because they've not got any of those okay. other more specific features. So lip swelling in itself yeah, doesn't, doesn't come... Right, because I think that sometimes gets a bit yeah. confused as well. Maybe that's part of the airway. Yeah. yeah. But that's more I think if their lips skin. are swollen, but they're... Yes, and the, but they're, they're breathing normally, they're talking normally, there's no change in voice, then that's okay, that's still skin. Okay. Um, and are there any blood tests, any investigations that we should be doing in the emergency department that are going to be useful to you if I'm saying I have no idea what this person's had a reaction to, but they seem to have a reaction to something? So if, yeah, if there's not a good known cause or a known trigger, then we can do a triptase level. And we usually can, we need to do that as soon as possible after the event. So usually within 30 minutes of the reaction, if possible. Okay. And then we repeat it again within 30 minutes to two hours. And we can see that the triptase goes up when you're having an anaphylactic reaction and then it comes back down again. So if we can see that kind of rise and fall, okay. and then we compare it when they're well to a baseline, then it can help us confirm it was definitely an anaphylactic reaction. Okay. So, so that's really helpful in those who've got no trigger. If you know the history is very clear, yeah. and it was definitely something peanutty or something yeah. food, you don't need to do that. What we prefer then is a really detailed history of exactly what happened and the timing so that we can look back on it. So it's a bit like sort of taking a history for somebody who's had a seizure, for example. Yeah. What was happening before, what yeah. happened during, yeah. what happened afterwards. Yeah, more okay. timings. But thinking about doing a triptase yep, is, is important. Definitely. Is there any merit in doing uh, sort of IGEs at that point in time, or is no, that total no. waste of my time? Yeah. Okay, so I'll stop doing this. I don't do them anyway. <laughs> but was okay. So, but a triptase. Certainly. Triptase definitely. If you've got no no known trigger, or oh. an, an older child, usually they say over sixteen. If it's a bit variable, then definitely. Okay. Um, for those people who end up with adrenaline in the community, but maybe weren't necessarily having an anaphylactic reaction are we okay, okay to say i don't think this was anaphylaxis mm -hmm. i don't think you need an adrenaline mm -hmm. auto injector in the community you can probably just manage with antihistamines does that fair? yeah as long as you're very clear that the, the features why they got it were not an anaphylactic mm. reaction okay um, and that will often take some time to unpick that because the families might and those would be good ones to refer to allergy clinic mm. and they won't have any harm by having one until they come and then we can always discuss the need for having one mm. in clinic Presuming everyone can get hold of one. Yes. Because well, there, yep, there is a bit of a national shortage, international shortage, mm. but apparently we're reassured that that is coming to an end. Okay. And most pens should be available. Excellent. And do you demonstrate in your clinic how to use the auto-injector yep. properly? Because yep. I think that's something that maybe people are not brilliant at. Yeah. Without guidance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they've all the pens have usually got instructions on the actual pen. Yeah. If you've got a written management plan, they should also have the instructions on it. All of the companies that provide the pens do do um, online education, videos, DVDs, things like that. So if anyone's been given a pen, there's lots of resources out there. But we will also definitely do it in clinic and talk them through when they need to use it, how to use it, and the difference between the different types of pens. So there's different makes, and whilst they're all essentially the same, mm. there's some subtle differences with safety caps and lids between some of the different makes. Okay. So is there the possibility that people can grab and stab with the wrong end? Yeah, so yeah, okay. so an EpiPen and a Jext pen have a safety cap that you have to take off before you can use it, whereas an Emirate pen just has a lid, like a pen lid, that you have to take off and use that end. So, okay. so making sure that families know. It doesn't matter which one you have, as long as you know how to use which it. To use. And they can be used through clothes? Yeah, in right? the thigh. We yeah. tend to do it in the thigh, through clothes. You don't have to strip them off. And you've got to hold it for 
10, 10 seconds. seconds. Although some of the guidance is changing, some of them are saying three seconds, but count to 10 is what I say. Okay. I'm be holding it there for okay. long enough. Gives you time to calm down. Yeah. Okay. Do you have to rub the area <laughs> rub as well? Rub the area for 10 well. seconds after you've used it, and then after you've used it, you've obviously been worried, so definitely ring an ambulance and get yourself to hospital so you can get checked out. Okay. And um, how many EpiPens or JexPens would you normally give somebody? One for home, one for school, yep. one for spare. Yeah. So we tend to say have access to two at all times. So mm. usually one at home, one at school, and one that they might carry with them. And then usually they've got access to two. Some units will only will not give that many. Right. Um, so it does vary across the country, but I think that we always tell patients if they haven't had a good response within five to ten minutes, then they should be using a second pen. So you can only do that if you've got a second pen. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so you need to have one really um, and some people who have had significant reactions or live out rural mm. nowhere they would always need to have two obviously okay and when would you give a second pen what if they're sort of ongoing reactions yes that's so not if got your better, symptoms okay. haven't got better so if you've still got respiratory difficulties they're still collapsed um, and you're, you haven't moved on at all from where you were before you gave the first one then we'd repeat it and for those so the, the paramedic crews who were getting these kids is there a role for sort of giving nebulized salbutamol if they've got particular mm-hmm. respiratory symptoms yep so if they've got wheeze then epipen's the first thing you need to give or your adrenaline pen's the first thing you need to give and then if you've got wheeze once you've given that you can get on with giving salbutamol afterwards and you can give some antihistamine as well okay. but the first thing to do is your adrenaline pen okay so adrenaline pen we could add other other things in maybe yep. is there any role for steroids hydrocortisone in these yep. kids so yeah we can we give i am hydrocortisones on our kind of guideline and we give that here if you've made it into hospitals lots of paramedics might give that mm. if they've got access to it um but we'd probably prefer that they get them into hospital if they're that worried mm. so we can carry on that and i think the, the key message for a lot of people is you shouldn't be giving out these epipens unless you're showing somebody how to use it yes there's no point in no. in here you go off your trot yeah Go and look at the video. We should be doing yeah. the training for those people. Yeah. Okay. And any other top tips for us for for GPs? So is it is it largely about history? Is history key? History is key, and I think you could probably manage most allergy by just getting a decent history. Okay. Um, so tests and blood tests usually just confirming what you already have a suspicion of. So history is definitely key. So as we keep saying in paediatrics, it's all about history. It's yep. all about observation. Blood tests might help you. Might help But actually, history and examination, as always, is key. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you very much for your time today, Donna. Thank Cheers. you.